Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by Columbia Sportswear. It's snowing again, and that wind chill is killer. But you're not worried about that because you shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection. It's warmth perfected with tiny gold dots that reflect your body heat inside and protect you from the cold outside. No snow or chilly temps can stop you now. Go out anyway. Shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection now at Columbia.com slash infinity. All right, what's going on, Sharks territory? All the Sharks fans out there, especially those who follow us here at Shark City. I'm Aaron James, and this is the Shark City podcast for Sunday, October 9th 2022 so let's just do a quick preview of what we're gonna get ourselves into this evening we're gonna recap and react to games one and two of the season just briefly touch up on the whole 2022 global series for San Jose Sharks the results are not in our favor that's all I'm gonna say uh, the roster moves that were done today have very interesting names are joining the CUDA Notice no surprise to anyone here who's uh, followed and listened to this program. And uh, speaking of which, we'll we will briefly touch on the preseason opening weekend for the Barracuda that went down in Bakersfield and here at the uh, new farm at Tech CU Arena. All right, so um, let's just get this plugs out of the way really quick. Whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram Live, or on Twitch. Uh, feel free to drop a comment in the chat section and interact with the podcast. And um, we also have a voice message service we're trying to roll out here. So you could do like a 90-second message and be on the show. Uh, speakpipe.com forward slash Shark City Hockey. And uh, all of our episodes are archived at sharkcityhockey.com. All right. Enough of that. And let's get into it. So, um, you know... The- the toughest thing in Sharks territory for us fans is, especially those who, um, you know, try to be content creators for, you know, the team that they love so much. Um, one of the hardest things to do is, you know, a show and try to keep it upbeat or, and sometimes even just try to, you know, keep it, you know, worth having your attention when, you know, you're discussing a loss, right? I don't know if any of y'all out there ever seen Van Wilder, but there was like one of these moments where he was trying to pump up the basketball team during the halftime, uh, the local college team. And, you know, he said like, you know, nobody wants to celebrate a loss. Well, you know, that's, that's the truth when it comes to, you know, covering the team. So I get it. I definitely get it. You know, um, we've been told it's a new era for past few weeks now, and we're just seeing the same old thing, right? Well, I still I still have faith, you know, these these two games are not going to define what I think, you know, for the remainder of the season. Uh but before we get into that, let's just uh cover I want to cover the first shifts for each line during the first game of the new era, right? Um because, you know, those first impressions for the 2022-2023 seasons, you know, those are going to be the lasting one. A lot of people they like to pay attention to the analytics you like to pay attention to, you know, the scoreboard or the stats. Um, a lot of things are not measured. And quite frankly, um, in my opinion, even though 
the Nashville Predators were obviously a well-equipped, better-suited team than the Sharks were. Um, I feel like the South East Sharks were in both of these games. I really do. I felt like it was literally just a matter of, um, you know, a lucky bounce or for most of these games, the net, the net continuously just, you know, getting uh, dislodged or just getting out of place. But anyways, I digress. Let's get into um, the first shifts, uh, the first shift for line one. So, um, you know, the one thing I noticed is they still got that 2-3 offense kind of going on where they contain the puck and they protect the net. It's like this hybrid like form of defense where they're keeping four men deep and they're leaving like two D-men uh, for the opposing team at the point unchallenged for like one-timers or, you know, to continue the uh, offensive pressure. Uh, it seems to be primed for being like unable to escape the defensive zone while simultaneously not being able to generate much offense with just two attackers, you know, um, waiting to lead the charge. In this case, Hurdle and Meyer. Um, so, you know, a lot of fans are quick to, you know, point out that Hurdle and Meyer are pretty much the only players, you know, in terms of like, um, you know, goal scoring ability like that the Sharks have. And, um, you know, when the first line is out there and, um, you know, they're <laughs> struggling to clear the zone and, again, just just seemed like they depended on Hurdle and Meyer to make the offense happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, is this an early indication of the Sharks' game plan to essentially lean on both 28 and 48 in the offensive zone? Just, you know, get the puck past the blue line and see what they could do with it? I really hope not. Um, again, it's just the first shift. Um, and we are just pretty much recapping and reacting here on this episode of Shark City Podcast. Um, so obviously, you know, later on throughout the game, which we'll cover in just a moment, um, you know, that that line was the only line that was productive in terms of the scoreboard. You know, Hurdle scored a goal, but uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, the first shift for the second line, Logan Couture started the shift with energy. I liked what the captain had to bring, to be honest. Um, he had some great chances in front of the net. The Sharks' second line, they start in the offensive zone. Um, Couture missed a one-timer in the corner of the crease, uh, but he still created some traffic in front of um, Nashville's um, goaltender, uh, Soros. And it's kind of a real shame, in my opinion, that the captain's turnover in the slot led to the Nashville's attack that resulted in that first goal of the 2022-2023 season being scored against James Reimer. Um, you know, the guys just struggled down deep in their own zone. Couture, Ferraro, and Vlasic couldn't defend behind the goal line and in the trapezoid. And Ferraro awkwardly drops his stick at the wrong time. I, I just, I don't get it, but it is what it is. And he couldn't reposition quick enough to defend a rebound that was put in a net. And, um, you know, by Nashville. And not that it made, made a difference because Couture was like right there <laughs> um, defending the shot right in the face. And um, he still kind of cleared the puck from his stick, but it is what it is. Um, you know, I mean, I imagine Ferraro being the defender is better built for taking on the Nashville offense, especially in front of the crease. Um, you know, who actually did a really solid job of of um, making sure that nobody skated across the goal crease or even the slot unchallenged? Uh, Radin Shimmick in the third line. He pretty much shined. Uh, the, the third line had a real rough start 
for their first shift of the 2022-2023 season. And um, Redding Shimmick, he kind of held it down. Uh, he spent the whole shift defending, obviously. <laughs> but um, again, you know, he, he challenged anybody that got near the blue paint or anybody that even got near himself. You know what I'm saying? Um, and his solid block shot skills led to the Sharks being able to clear the zone. And um, for honestly, the fourth line for the Sharks was rather impressive. Throughout the game, to be honest with you, uh, their first shift especially, A-plus, solid defending while changing on the fly. Uh, they created offensive um, opportunities deep in the zone, along the boards, uh, by the half wall. A couple of blown tires and missed opportunities of stuffing the puck in a wide-open net. Um, but other than that, a pretty solid play from you know the fourth liners, the, you know, the depth checking line. Um, so, you know, as far as the rest, of the rest of the game goes, for the first period, you know, power play looked good despite not being able to generate a goal. Uh, LeBanc looked great back after nine months of being inactive, like nine-plus months. Uh, he had some high-quality chances and, um, you know, it looked like there's a couple moments there where he was going to, you know, put it past, you know, put it put it in the net, but, you know, it just didn't happen. Uh, James Reimer looked out of it. He looked just out of sync, out of position. Uh, he he even lost sight of the puck in the crease, like while he's trying to cover it up, and um, you know it, it was kind of it was kind of, you know it was kind of rough for him, but um, he kind of came alive at the end at the end of the period, the first period, and um, you know despite the Sharks losing four to one, Optimus Rhyme only surrendered three even strength goals. He only surrendered three goals, <laughs> so uh, he finished with with a point nine zero eight save percentage. Uh, you know, he finished the night, you know, above uh, 900. Uh, so for those of you who are keeping track of the goalie battle, uh, Reimer's obviously still in it. Uh, fourth goal was empty netter, obviously. Uh, Vlasic was constantly turning it over in the D zone. Kind of just sloppy placement of the puck when he was trying to either, you know, uh, have a lead pass or just clear the zone in general. Um, the one thing I noticed that lacked in the first 20 Minutes for the Sharks was physicality. Uh, the Preds just seemed to be playing the body, and the Sharks were just kind of rolling through the punches until Jonah Gajevic dropped the gloves to throw some of his own. And, um, you know, it kind of had to happen. The Sharks just surrendered a goal to start off the uh, the second period. And, um, I mean, the, the Sharks overall, you know, they did match the physicality of the game. If you're talking about hits, they laid 22 hits to answer Nashville's 23. And, you know, even though, you know, the stats are like similar, it just seemed that the Preds hits were more disruptive on the overall game. Uh, you know, just took a, took the Sharks out of sync. And, you know, those are some, those are big guys. Those are some big guys. Um, but again, I feel like the Sharks were in it. You know what I mean? Like um, the Sharks hit a lot of post. Hurdle and Meyer could have scored. Meyer had an excellent opportunity deep in the zone. He sold the puck and he had a, a shot on Saros. He hit the iron, but, you know, kind of looked like it was headed wide in real time. But, hey, you know, I mean, the, the Sharks, despite, you know, um, the score, and I know, you know, a lot of people are like, were you blind? Did you watch the whole game? They're, they're out, they were outskated, they're outcompeted, whatever, you know, outlasted, all that stuff. Yeah, I understand. But, um, you know, should those little incidents, incidents on the ice uh, were to turn in the Sharks' favor, then you're talking about a completely different outcome, right? Anyways, um, but it is what it is. You know, the Sharks lost 4-1. to one. 
Um, LeBanc, you know, that second period, he, I think he started solid again. He was just challenging puck carries in offensive zone. He helped create some opportunities for Couture to do his magic. And uh, that's the one thing that I think was missing last season for Logan Couture. Um, like most of you out there, you're probably a little concerned about why our captain is on the second line. He should be the starting centerman. Uh, but it is what it is. You know, we have Tomas Hurdle up there. Um, but I think, you know, LeBanc and his absence of injury, it's starting to show. I mean, at least that's that's what I've seen. This, this first game, these first couple of games, um, you know, he looks healthy. He looks like he's going to have quite the impact. He's going to have quite the impact this season. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's make it or break it for him this year. Uh, no pun intended, but yeah, I, I, I appreciated his ability, like his, uh, his offensive and defensive awareness. He was just got kind of getting his body, um, in the right place at the right time. He was, um, again, kind of disrupting the, um, the defense for Nashville and he, uh, created this opportunity for Couture where, um, he fed it to Couture, Couture fed it back and the bank try to do like this tic-tac-toe thing with the captain, but he didn't reconnect back on the pass. Long story short is, I wish he would have took the shot. I really do. Um, as most of us fans here in San Jose know, there's kind of the trend the last season. Just way too much passing and not enough shots taken. Sharks, by the way, had 31 shots total in the first game of the season. And... um you know, we can continue to break down the rest of the game, but the bottom line is that the Sharks lost. Okay, they they fell to score on four power play opportunities. They did kill four penalties, though, so, you know, special team unit kind of offsets, I guess, when it comes to production. Um, shock, the Sharks, Sharks, pardon me, the Sharks also blocked, like, a dozen shots. Two dozen shots. Uh, so, you know, um... Anyone want to guess who blocked the most shots in that game? I'll wait. I'll wait for um for the live feed because I know sometimes it might be delay. I know I wait for everybody in the chat, but who wants to take a guess at who blocked the most shots in game one? First game of the season. All right. This individual had six blocked shots. There was 23 total blocked shots by the entire team. This shark blocked more than a quarter of them himself. He also had 24 minutes of ice time. All right. So if you don't know by now, <laughs> uh, it's Mario Ferraro. Okay. All these shot blocks damn near cost him his hand in the third period. You know, by then the sharks are already down three to one and the fate was sealed with a little less than like eight minutes ago, but still. Um, we got to find a way to get Mario Ferraro from playing goalie. I mean, kind of intense. Like the, the Predators, you know, they put 32 shots on James Reimer. Sharks put 31 shots on the net, just for comparison. But just, you know, the Predators, they blocked 11 shots. So let's just say, hypothetically, in like a perfect offensive world in hockey, that every puck shot by the Sharks reached the net, well, then the total would be about 42. Now, the Sharks blocked 23 shots, okay? 
So if we had that same scenario applied for Nashville, we know you're talking about like 55 shots <laughs> on goal. So the Sharks blocked 23 potential pucks from reaching, you know, Reimer. And six of them were by Mario Ferraro. We got to find a way to get that guy from not playing goalie. Now he's going to be picking up more minutes. That's for sure. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit. But, you know, long story short is if Ferraro continues to find himself in between, you know, um, the puck and the goaltender, that production and, you know, that potential that a lot of Sharks fans out there feel that he could reach being, you know, like um, a top-line defensive man, I personally think, I personally think that he's like top four. Top two is 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 kind of a, a reach, maybe more so now because uh, Burns is gone. Um, and hey, him and Carlson they're they're sharing that workload. Okay, I think Carlson put on twenty seven minutes in the last the last game, and Ferraro put on twenty five. We'll get into that a little bit later. But long story short is, um, if the Sharks want him to be that next guy, you know, to take on you know that that workload, we got to find a better defensive strategy. Um, than, than having our guys, especially our stars, our supposedly our future stars, you know, um, putting their body on the line all the time. Uh, we all know that, you know, Ferraro, he went down uh, for, for, for the same thing last season. I would hate to see that happen. And we almost did see it happen in the first 60 minutes of the season. Anyways, I get off my soapbox. Uh, so by now, you probably noticed that I didn't cover the only goal scored by the Sharks. <clears throat> well, that's because that was just about the only high point of the game. For San Jose Sharks fans, and I just wanted to save that for the end of the recap for Game 1 and, you know, have a more positive reaction or end on a more positive note. Um, so, you know, the till token of the whole global series was Tomas Hurdle's goal, okay? Uh, that was assisted by Timo Meyer and Luke Cunning. Nice to see Luke Cunning fitting right in with the top line. Uh, Cunning scored two points in two games against his old team in Prague, and Honestly, I think whoever the Sharks put on that line with Myron Hurdle are bound to have scored some points this season. <laughs> um, back to the hometown hero's goal. Hurdle buried a loose puck that was just being slapped and stabbed at in front of the net until it squeaked its way into the sights of a ninja. And Hurdle puts the puck in a wide-open two-hole or the area between the goalie's left leg pad and the goalpost. Um, you know, Hurdle, this, this trip, he was obviously given modest media coverage for being born in a in a Prague and being fresh off of a new contract extension. The ink on that $65 million deal is still drying. Um, but, you know, it's definitely the Constellation Prize, if there ever was one in losing a hockey game, okay, was, uh, you know, was Tomas Hurdle scoring a goal in his hometown. Uh, you know, it almost felt, to be honest with you, it almost felt like when Hurdle scored that goal, the Sharks were like, all right, mission accomplished, because the energy from that team was never seen again after that moment. And that's just my opinion. Um, it was it was almost like, hey, it doesn't matter what happens tonight, as long as Hurdle scores, we're all good, right? Anyways, um, I digress. So, you know, Hurdle, he scores a goal in the arena he played in, at O2 Arena in Prague, and the city he was born in in the Czech Republic. And, uh, you know, he had his whole team and more importantly, his family with him as he scores the first goal of the 2022, 2023 season for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, so this moment in hockey history 
couldn't have been written any better. This moment of Shark's territory, however, could have been written better with the win. So um, I'm happy for Hurdle because he seems to be the Sharks' most valuable and marketable player now. And uh, the franchise is trying to build the next gen of iconic Sharks. Uh, those boys have big skates to fill. You know what I'm saying? Uh, with the likes of Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe. Some of you out there might say Pavs. You know, they've been carrying the torch of San Jose for a better part of the last two decades. So, um, you know, last season, Hurdle, he scored um, a total of 64 points, 30 goals, 34 assists. His best season since 2018-2019 when he tallied 74. Uh, more importantly, he played a complete 82-game season for San Jose, his first full season since 2014-2015. Uh, Hurdle has definitely evolved into a top-line centerman, and he's trying to take his club with him, that's for sure. Um, you know, He's on his journey to become an elite player, in my opinion. Some of you might say he's already there. I think he's, you know, he's still on his way to becoming that X-factor, as they refer to in NHL, for all you EA Sports fans out there, all you video game gamers. But, um, you know... We all know in San Jose from last season that Hurdle has a sight set on the Stanley Cup. And, um, you know, by him signing an eight-year agreement, he obviously believes he could win it with the Sharks. So, um, yeah. I think uh, Hurdle is probably the most appropriate person to, um, you know, fill those skates. But, yeah, first they'll have to win a game, right? <laughs> Before they go into the Cup, they got to win a game, okay? So, you know, the Sharks' second game of the season is also the second loss by a score of 3-2. to two. Uh, featured the line shakeup and Capo Kakinen got his first uh, start in the crease. Um, you know, we're that was a pretty good note right there for a moment. So rather than dive deeper into, you know, another loss, let's just wrap it up by saying overall it's the sequel. Sharks lose and extend their losing streak to Nashville to six consecutive games. That's the most in Sharks history um, that they've lost to this squad. So um, previously, it was four games. Four consecutive losses to Nashville has been the most games that Sharks have lost consecutively. Uh, so this six-game losing streak to the Preds dates back to December of 2019. Um, the key differences in this game, the second game of the 2022 NHL Global Series, was that the Sharks played a better game overall. They kept Nashville under 18 shots on net. Although that squad did block another 23. This time, Vlasic and Hurdle, they tied with the lead for like three block shots. Um, you know, so Ferraro didn't have to, you know, carry, you know, carry the load. That aspect of the game. Thank goodness. Uh, the Sharks scored first and they scored on the power play. So, you know, Luke uh, Cunning buried a goal past Kevin uh Lincoln in, so he got to score not just an assist, but also a goal against his old club, that being the Nashville Preds. And, um, you know, the Sharks had a 1-0 lead at the end of the first, which was cool because Logan Couture, you know, he scored his first of the season in the second period to regain the lead again. So the Sharks were playing to lead twice. Um, and that was in the second period. But that lasted about 104 seconds because Nashville scored two goals and the last two goals of the game in the second period, just about five minutes apart. So Kapokak and his numbers, 18 shots faced, 15 saves, 0.833 save percentage for those of you who are following the goalie battle. 
So again, it's safe to say that Reimer remains in the lead and in possession of the starting goaltender position. And, you know, with this two-game losing streak overseas to start the season, just leaves me with some questions. You know, I begged the question, is it a cause for concern that the Sharks had the lead twice in the game and outshot the Preds yet still lost? You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> I mean, personally, my overall assessment is, um, you know, there, there's a lot of other factors you got to put into play. And again, I'm not making excuses, but there's a lot of other factors that are going on to the game or that were at play that I think um, respectfully need to be put into consideration. Um, so, you know, the temperature of the building, it was reported that the temperature of the building, the O2 arena, was uh, hot to say the least. Now, I'm sure that these temperatures may have been exaggerated, but players are reported, uh, reportedly saying that it felt like it was 200 degrees. Tomas Hurdle himself, who uh, he spoke about the heat in the arena uh, with Dan Rizanowski during the um, the intermission on the Sharks audio network. And he was talking about how he had to keep rechanging his t-shirts because they're just getting soaking wet. Um, so... What, what what okay so it was hot okay they were extra sweaty nah man that's like gonna take a toll on the human body and without a doubt has an effect on the game okay well nashville predators had to deal with the same thing i for sure i get it but i'm just simply simply trying to say okay had the sharks been playing in you know the tank would there be a different game who knows i guess we'll have to find out when we get a peek at them this upcoming weekend. But um, again, temperature in the building, the effect on the players, but also the effect on the quality of the ice, right? Uh, the puck was bouncing around a lot. The net couldn't even stay attached. Um, and how many times did the net come off the pegs? I mean, there's some, there's some point in that game when I was like, man, you had to call delay a game because uh, Nashville definitely was taking advantage Definitely taking advantage. It seemed like every time the Sharks, especially on the power play, I think Hurdle at one point was just super frustrated. But like, it seemed like every time the Sharks were generating offense, or you know, they're they're starting to you know get on the shark attack and threaten the Preds. Uh, there goes the net sliding into the back of the trapezoid. Anyways, but here's one thing that is going to be like the topic of the season, at least right now it is. The fact that the Sharks are electing to scratch young prospects with offensive skills to start proven veterans in the bottom six depth chart means we still do not have a true assessment of the team. So I'll say that again. The fact that the Sharks are not starting the likes of Thomas Bordalo and William Eklund, to be more specific, or players who were you know um, acquired for their offensive talents and they are not starting them in favor of proven, some would say, uh, rougher, grittier, like grinders, you know, proven veterans that may withstand, you know, an 82-game season and everything that it entails, you know, the workload, the travel, etc. It just means that we don't have a true assessment of the Sharks team because here's the reality, okay, whether it's a journeyman who's holding down the bottom six right now, or maybe it's 
a future assistant alternate captain like Nick Benito. Okay, a lot of us thought that Nick Benito was just going to come here and make a pit stop on his career. Hey, he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion. So it's not a diss. Okay, but I'm just simply trying to say, like a lot of us thought, like the likes of Andrew Cogliano, who got an opportunity to be traded away to Colorado last year by the Sharks and won himself a Stanley Cup. Um, a lot of us thought that he was going to, you know, probably just, you know, stop on by San Jose and then go on his way. He's here at the squad, and now he's one of our leaders. So I'm not saying that that may be the case for everybody in the bottom six, but what I am trying to say is that the narrative right now, you know, the Sharks wasted no time. They wasted no time into um, letting us know that it's going to be harder for the younger talent, the likes of Bordalo and Eklund, to break into the main roster because of the fact that we've acquired some more veteran depth. So me just being a Sharks fan, knowing that we have these guys right there on the CUDA ready to go. And if they were, you know, just knowing that you could like deploy them, you could pencil them in to your offense or defense. Um, or for the sake of being fair, or in the in the crease in the net, okay. But back to the point, knowing that you have that talent or those skills or those you know weapons might sound a little aggressive, but you get the point. You know, it's it's hard to really like put your finger on what the sharks are when we're not getting to see what they truly can be. If I said that correctly, you get the gist of what I'm trying to get at, though, right? Anyways, um, so yeah. Uh, let's just cover that really quick. So William Eklund and Thomas um, Bordalo, no surprise to us here on the Shark City podcast. Um, you know they were assigned uh, along with uh, Nick Cisek, I believe. They were all assigned to the Cuda today. Uh, Jeffrey Ville and Aaron Dell were placed on waivers. Um, so you know a lot of fans they they were thinking that William Eklund especially when they made the trip they thought that by William Eklund and Thomas Borrello being on the roster or you know being on the flight to the Czech Republic that that meant that they would be in the lineup and they would get some ice time well that wasn't the case as a matter of fact because of that trip, the Sharks were allowed to kind of like bolster up the roster and take extra players because it's not like they're going to have the luxury of, you know, making any moves if they needed to call anybody up, you know, like if they were in San Jose or in North America in general. Um, so, you know, they're able to take extra, you know, extra heads, extra players, you know, with, with the squad. And, um, you know, Eklund and Bordalo were, you know, they were those plus ones or whatever, plus sevens, or I forgot what it was. Anyways, bottom line is this is um, it comes to no surprise to us here that they're not going to be playing any Sharks uh, games anytime soon. They're going to start and open for the CUDA, okay? Last year, you know, supposedly it was Eklund had to get bigger, and he would be a target in the AHL if he was dressed for the CUDA. You're getting the same sentiment this season, but now apparently he's AHL ready. You know what I'm saying? So it's like... Again, not a big shocker. Been saying this since last season. Been saying this all offseason, to be honest with you. Eklund and Thomas Bordalo have seats to sell out at the new barn. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, all jokes aside, um, you know, the Sharks are making the message rather clear. Now that they had a death, it'll be harder to break into the lineup, as I just said. So, um, 
That's another way of saying that they're not going to put the kids in the big leagues just yet. And, um, you know, reality is some of you out there might think that this is going to be a great opportunity for these uh, kids to get some quality ice time at an AHL level, right? So Eklund and Bordalo, they're now in the CUDA. They're obviously top six AHL forwards. But I personally agree with sections in the fan base, all right? I agree with the sections of the fan base that want to see those minutes on the ice played at the NHL level, even if it hypothetically means they couldn't break past a bottom six role. I highly doubt that would be the case. If you're saying that Eklund and Borlo may not be ready for an 82-season angel grind, then I would say that's uh, debatable, okay? Might be a little valid. But to say that they would essentially not affect the outcome of a game, or specifically the first two games of the season, sure, maybe they don't change the scoreboard. But Sharks territory will never know if they're kept out of the games, right? Would the Sharks have still lost these last two games against Nashville if Bordelow and Eklund were in there? I don't know. I mean, all analytics and science point to yes. But, you know, I believe that everything that happens in a hockey game isn't measurable. So, you know, you'd never know until, you know, we get these kids on the ice. All right, we got some comments right here in the Instagram uh, live section. By the way, if you're following on Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube, um, drop a message in the chat at any time. Um, you know, feel free to interact with the show. All of our previous episodes are archived at sharkcityhockey.com. Um, I've been hearing this a lot everywhere. Tank hard for Bedard. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't, I highly doubt it. I mean, hey, if that's what happens, then it is what it is. Okay. Um, a lot of fans or they are already singing the same old tune, the same old song, pretty much talking about how it's, you know, I've heard this. I've seen this on headlines. I've seen this. Uh, play on words real quick. The minute you know, the minute that first goal went in on Reimer, but everyone right away, new era, same results, or something along that lines, and take hard for it. You know, I I personally think that the Sharks will be contending for a wild card spot. So, you know, unless they find a way to like remain in the lottery. I highly doubt that we're going to be... Um, I don't think we're going to be a bottom three team. I know that, that's my bold prediction. I really think that the Sharks are going to be in the mix. I think they're going to be like... Um, you know, some will say they're not going to be playoff contenders. I think they'll be playoff hopefuls. <laughs> I think they'll they'll get close. I really hope that they'll make it to a wild card. Um, but, you know. Anyways. Um... We'll we'll really never get to know what the Sharks are until we get get to see, you know, Eklund and Bordalo in the lineup regularly. And, you know, that's all gonna be on David Quinn. Okay. So David Quinn, um, you know, the expectations of him as a coach kind of already been laid out by Mike Greer, and we covered that in one of the previous episodes. So for the sake of not being repetitive, I'm just gonna move on with um, you know, pretty much you know, he's he's here to, for development, not for, you know, playoff contention. Uh, the Sharks said that it's not a rebuild, it's a reset. Well, here it is. Uh, we got Mike Greer, 
from the general manager office, and we got David Quinn at the head coach. Um, immediately when, especially today, when Eklund and Bordalo were um, announced as not only being scratched for the first two games of the season, but now being sent down to the minors, uh, right away a lot of people are saying like, oh man, this this is like Boogeyman 2.0. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, um, not big difference, big difference between, you know, um, DW and, and MG. I mean, it's, I think it's, that's a little, a, a little too quick, you know, a little too quick, to, you know, just come to that conclusion. Uh, let's see, let's see how, how it goes down in the two games this weekend in San Jose. But, uh, David Quinn, you know, he's here to develop these players. He's not here to get us to the playoffs. So with the reason I'm mentioning that is the expectations are not for the Sharks to make the playoffs. As a matter of fact, you could go ahead and say that the expectation is for them to miss the playoffs by a long shot. I personally think that's absurd. And I think that the San Jose Sharks are going to get better. David Quinn certainly does because that's what he said at his media um, availability press conference uh, last night. So, you know, I'll give I'll give them the opportunity to, sh- to show me, you know, like they say, Rick and Morty, show me what you got. Right. Get swifty, please, Sharks. Do something because if you come over here and you tank hard for a bit hard. <laughs> Sorry, that's ridiculous. Please don't. I know a lot of fans out there really want to see that happen. But please don't. I, I do not want to see four years, four consecutive years of no Stanley Cup playoffs. That would just be horrible. All right. All right. Um... Let's see. I want to finish off the uh, t- tonight's program with um, just kind of reviewing the Barracuda. They also opened their season this weekend. So, you know, a lot of us were caught up in the hype of the 2022 NHL Global Series that was going down in um, in Prague in Czech Republic. But, um, you know, the Sounds of Barracuda, they started their preseason same days, Friday and Saturday, uh, in Bakersfield and at the new Tech CU Arena. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to kind of quickly uh, touch up on, once again, the uniforms. My bad. Yes, once again, the uniforms. So the Sharks, in case you don't know by now, have a new set of um, jerseys. By the way, Ice Alex. I believe that's how you say aesthetics, pardon me. They released a video and they were suggesting that the stealth jersey may still be a um may still be an option for an alternate jersey for the sharks. Obviously the reverse retro leak is gonna be a SEALs throwback for San Jose. I think personally that's why they also went with the all teal look. Because they're throwing it back to a time when they were like, you know, they had the all like light bluish kind of color going down from like, you know, gloves to helmet, etc. You get the gist of it, right? So um, it'll probably be uh, just easier to transition to uniform than create kind of like the last reverse retro, right? It's like, um, pardon me, it's... It's like they they had their own unique kit for it. 
I could see it being kind of like a plug and play deal with the Sharks now all till. Anyways, only time will tell. But uh, yeah, I just kind of want to rate the new era uniform, the new Evolve jerseys, because we finally got to see both of these uniforms in official NHL action. Okay. So uh, the first thing that I noticed um, right away was that um, at some angles, it doesn't look like the stripes or the uh, the color, the, the till of the jersey matches the crest. Now, I'm sure it could be because the crest kind of has this reflective thing, the crest being the logo on the chest. Okay, so the Sharks logo, the till and the Sharks logo, it looks slightly off from the new till. And I know they kind of went with a different hue this season, but... Um, if the logo is still the same, that's just one of those little details that I just kind of kind of irks me. I think it can be a lighting. I think at certain times, it, it, when it reflects at a certain angle, it might look like it matches the new teal color. But yeah, that, that right there kind of grinded my gears. I'm not going to lie. Anyways, little pet peeve, but I'll get over it. It is what it is. Um, the other thing I noticed is that the Sharks no longer have their logo present on the helmets. So uh, the sponsors are going full-time on the lid. Uh, previously, it was alternating sponsors on the home and away helmets. And then I think most recently, it was just one sponsor on the away helmets and the Sharks logo on the home uh, black helmets when they played at the tank. But based off of what I'm seeing here at the um, 2022 Global Series, sounds like Sharks, their white and teal buckets both have the primary sponsor on it. So... Yeah, that was uh, pretty interesting. I got to say, um, obviously, and I said this previously, just just off of the eye test, like first look, right? First impression. Those away uniforms, where it's at. I think this is the first time, the first time I ever wanted to buy the away threads more than I ever wanted to have the all-till home threads. And I think it works for three reasons. And for those of you who watched this uh, program before, please pardon the repetition. But for those of you who this might be, you know, the first time you're checking this out, I think the reason why they work so well is because they look like the old school inaugural home threads. So back in the day, the NHL, they used to wear white at home and till on the road. Um, so... The last two um, seasons, the milestone seasons, the 25th anniversary and the 30th anniversary, the Sharks threw it back to a heritage jersey that was the Till um, sweater for back in you know 1991. As a matter of fact, Adidas they just did a Team Classics. They kind of um, made like their version of uh, CCM jerseys. But uh, back to the point. Um, yeah, so. Sharks fans kind of been waiting for more than 30 years. I don't know, 30 years is kind of pushing it, but definitely more than like 20 years for um, that jersey being the inaugural whites to be back into production, right? I mean, you can find it anywhere, right? You can, you, you can find it on eBay. You could probably find it at, you know, your social media group thread or, you know, Craigslist if that's still your, your deal. Point trying to say, you know, you, you could find these things on places, but um, you know, officially in production, 
just like the Seals jersey. That'll be the first time a Seals jersey will be in production since the 70s. So imagine those, uh, you know, OG Seals fans, those OG Bay Area hockey fans who've been waiting for this moment. You know what I'm saying? But, um, yeah, Sharks fans have been waiting for that white Heritage jersey to be back in production. And I think that's why the white jerseys are just so coveted in Sharks territory. I think that's why they just look so beautiful. Why, why it's just, like, so nice to just... It just looks like what we've been wanting for the longest time, both the current logo and the current uh, secondary shoulder patches. Speaking of which, I believe the shoulder patches work better on the away threads than they do on the till threads because on the till threads, they stick out like a sore thumb or a sore fin. Anyways, enough of that. I'll get off my soapbox of the uniform. Um, overall, I think it works. Um, the Saudi Sharks, obviously, you know, they're pushing this new era and they definitely want to, um, you know, give the new guys who are coming on board, that being Eklund and Bordalo, when they finally make it back to the main roster, you know, obviously, and hopefully they'll be here for years to come. Um, you know, they, they're kind of, in my opinion, like, you know, they're setting the stage or the foundation for those guys. Like, this is the look that we are going to associate with these guys. You know what I'm saying? So, anyways. Enough of that. Let's uh, wrap up this um, this program here as we are closing in on almost um, a full regulation uh, game of hockey here. Uh, San Jose Sh- Sharks uh, AHL affiliate club, the Barracuda, started their preseason um, on Friday and Saturday this weekend as well. Um, split results, so you know we finally get a dub in San Jose. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. First, the 5-1 loss that happened in Bakersfield. Uh, San Jose Barracuda allowed three goals in the third period. And that's pretty much what, um, you know, that's when the game got away from them. Brandon Coe was the only goal scorer. Uh, Mitchell Russell and Daniel Gushin got assists. Uh, they scored four minutes, 36 seconds into the first period against the Bakersfield Condors at Bakersfield. That was Friday, October 7th. Well, um, the Sharks were playing morning time for us here in San Jose. Um, Barracuda did their preseason opening face-off uh, later on that evening. Um, they were outshot 27-8, to eight, I believe, um, in Game 2. So last night on Saturday night, um, 27-8 to eight in the last two periods, they're outshot, but they still... They still came through. Uh, E2 McAniemi. Love that name. For so many reasons. Um, Reminds me of Ninamaki and Niemi. But this is his own guy. So don't let me. I don't mean any disrespect by comparing them to anyway. But E2 McAniemi. With a heck of performance. Um, He helps the Kuda. Win in overtime. 3-2. Um, their second game, their second exhibition game of the season, and their first victory of the 2022-2023 campaign. It's not official. It's just preseason. But, hey, at least we get a dub in uh, San Jose hockey over here. Uh, Luke Johnson scored a goal in the first. And um, in the third period, Scott Reedy, um, he's got his goal, first of the uh, preseason. And um, Artemi Knizov, he ended it. Overtime, two minutes in. So, uh, you know, the CUDA, they're getting things rolling. They're about to have their um, 
uh, season opener at Tech CU Arena. Honestly, I think it's going to be the hottest ticket now in San Jose. You know what I'm saying? In Sharks territory, um, or excuse me, the hottest ticket in San Jose during October is going to be in Cuda Country. All right, so uh, Eklund and Bordalo, they're going to be in that lineup. I really hope so. I really hope so. Uh, one one of these arenas needs both of them, hopefully, but one of them at a the minimum needs to be sold out crowd, man. And um, I think I think the, it's obvious the fans want to see uh, William Eklund and Thomas Bordalo. So if we're not going to get at the tank, we'll get at the Tech CU. All right. That is pretty much all we got for the fourth episode of the second season of the Shark City Podcast. I'm Aaron James. Thank you to everybody who's been uh, spending this time with me, especially live on this uh, Sunday evening, late evening here as we're uh, approaching 11 p.m. locally in San Jose, California. Um, By all means, if you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitch, give us a like, give us a follow. Check out the webpage, Shark City Hockey. And, um, yeah, you know, be on the lookout for the new uh, game day morning podcast that we're going to be trying to uh, get to you every uh, game day, that being Good Morning Shark City, as well as some uh, more content that we'll be producing throughout the season, like some more Top 5 Sharks countdown videos. Uh, We're going to probably spread it throughout all the social media channels. So, um, you know, if you're not following us on YouTube or if you're not following the Facebook page or our Twitter account or Twitch, you know, uh, make sure you do so so you can see all the other content that we'll be rolling out throughout the season. Uh, I'm Aaron James. This is the Shark City Podcast. And, um, you know, as I end every episode, I'll end it with um, Let's Go Sharks and just be a little bit more personable. Uh, good night to everybody out there in uh, Sharks territory. Thank you all for listening to me. Um, all the fans out there who've been supporting Shark City Hockey as, um, you know, from day one, uh, we're right here in year four. So uh, thank you to everybody. Have a great night. Um, can't wait to see you all rocking at the tank. Get a ticket sometime this weekend, Friday or Saturday. If you go on Friday night, you get a fanny pack. You also get to see Brent Burns in the Kings jersey. <laughs> if you go on a Saturday night, you get a replica Doug Wilson banner. It's a replica of what they'll be raising in the tank. So, you know, that's one of two special banner raising ceremonies that are going to go down in San Jose. Anyways, you all have a great night. Um, again, I'm Aaron James. This is Shark City Podcast. Um, thank you to everybody watching the live video and to everybody who's listening on their preferred podcast platform. Let's go, Sharks. Have a great night, everyone.